Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mordecai, and I'll be your host for this episode of the Focal Point Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Spiro Joachim, Managing Director at Lazard and Global Head of Natural Resources Investment Banking. So hello, Spiro. How are you today? Hi, good afternoon. I'm very well. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for inviting me to this talk. It's a great privilege. So I think the... Um, way that this talk will go would be great if we could first get to know you a little bit and then move on towards kind of mergers and acquisitions in natural resources and and more the investment banking side. Uh, So for those that are unfamiliar with uh, mergers and acquisitions and working in natural resources, uh, could you explain briefly what this is and what your role entails uh, on a day-to-day basis? I'm sure that as managing director and global head, there is no typical day-to-day, but it'd be great if you could give us uh, kind of some context about what your day looks like. So I will start with some background. I was born in uh, in Lebanon uh, and then moved to moved to France um, at the age of 14, 15 in order to complete my studies there. Did most of um, my studies at school and university in France for two or three years after that, went to the US um, and then came back to France, worked in France for some time in natural resources. Um, Started my career in Credit Lyonnais, which is uh, a uh, at the time it was one of the leading French banks, um, and then switched to Schroders uh, in 1995, and then um, went through uh, the time of Schroders being part of City until 2008, and then joined Lazard um, uh, this time 13 years ago. So I've been here at Lazard 13 years. Natural resources I've been in for my entire career. I guess it is a combination of things. It's being interested in the sector itself. Um, It allies oil and gas, mining, basic industries. Uh, And I'm still very interested in it because these sectors are not static. Now in oil and gas and energy, we move towards energy transition, green energy, uh, renewables. So still much to learn. Uh, and much to um, to 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 evolve in. Um, I'm one of those bankers who spend a lot of time externally, so with clients. This is what really gives me uh, my stimulation. This is what keeps me interested in the job, and this is what um, I believe we are here for as bankers, which is to provide um, high quality advice or high quality financial services to uh, to clients, uh, founded on very rigorous. And, um, and and thorough financial and context analyses. Um, and then uh, lastly, I would say that for the past year or so, I um, was asked to spearhead the acceleration uh, of the uh, diversity and inclusion effort at Lazard in financial advisory in London and then in Europe. Um, and this is something which I care hugely about, uh, and I spend an increasing amount of my time uh, on it. Thank you. It's a, a great answer. So it'd be great if you could now tell us uh, about your journey to Lazard and what the highs and lows were of this journey. Uh, I guess natural resources is, is a sector that's experienced many highs and lows over, I guess, the period of your career. So it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about that. Look, the um, the journey to Lazard started when I was in France, when I was in France uh, in Crédit Lyonnais, Lazard um, 
was and is um, the reference in investment banking in France. And it was always my aspiration that one day I will I will join Lazard. And one day, when the opportunity presented itself, I I took it. Uh, as I said, uh, almost this time, 13, 13 years ago. The major difference between City and Lazard is that Lazard is an independent financial advisor. Uh, we don't have a balance sheet. We don't underwrite securities. Um, we don't write research. We don't lend money. So what we do is, is advice. And so we live and die by the quality of that advice and the extent to which we have very long-term relationship with clients, in some instances, multi-generational. Um, uh, and we perfect our advice to meet uh, our clients' exacting, um, exacting requirements and challenges, particularly in natural resources where the environment has been very evolving and we have to adapt with it to, to some extent. We have to come in front of those changes, try and preempt them and provide the best advice uh, to our clients with a view to allowing them to take advantage of the vast opportunities and um, meeting the challenges associated with those. My standpoint as a banker, um, the requirements to succeed in any platform are the same. It's hard work, it's tenacity, it's perseverance, it's kindness with the team and with the client. And it's being able to be a good listener um, to understand the client's uh, challenges, motivations, um, to understand the various you know, structural shifts, the pivots that industries are making. And in my case, um, EV um, is probably one of the biggest that we have to, to deal with. And those changes um, reflected in, um, in our financial advice and how we position that to, um, to allow our clients to succeed in this environment. Ultimately, uh, we have one objective and one objective only, which is to have our clients succeed. The success of our clients is our success, really. Mm -hmm. And so I, I guess now is kind of time to ask a question about something that you, you touched upon earlier, how you really enjoy uh, the academic rigor side of, of investment banking. Mm. From what I read about kind of valuing companies involved mm. in natural resource businesses, um, it's quite a bit more complicated than kind of kind of making projections about your average industrial or or mature firm in a different sector. So uh, it'd be interesting for students maybe wanting to go into natural resource M and A um, if you could briefly describe how kind of making projections and assumptions differs. Because from what I understand, you need to kind of project uh, prices of oil and gas and natural resources going forward, and then maybe also modeling depletion of reserves. So it'd be great if you could kind of touch yep. upon that. Look, I think the best way to try and frame that is that valuing a mine in the same way as valuing an oil well is no different uh, than valuing a paper machine or a cement plant uh, or a chain of restaurants. As Warren Buffett said, the value of anything is the discounted um, value of the free cash flows that this asset or this company will generate over a certain period of time. The difference is that in the case of an oil well or a mine, there is no terminal value for valuation purposes. 
you basically do um, a DCF on the basis of long-term projections um, using long-term price index, but there is no terminal value. And that, for modeling purposes, you run those to extinction. There is obviously, at the end of the life of any well or any mine, uh, restoration costs, um, um, which you have to include as as part of your cash flows. And so um, it isn't more complicated. It is, it's, it's, it's longer models because, you know, obviously we value things in, in 9, 10, 15, 20 years. Some mines have a 30-year reserve life. Some oil well have a 100-year reserve life. So we do that this way. We utilize pricing decks that are um, market-driven. Uh, market, uh, so, you know, for oil, for the big uh, commodities like copper, aluminium, nickel, you basically have analyst consensus, you have forward curves, and you have institutions that give you a long-term perspective on, on those things. Um, much attention is given to CapEx, CapEx velocity, um, operating cost, absorption of those operating costs, free cash flow conversion, capital allocation, which are um, fundamental aspects in, in any valuation. So I would say it's not very different. It's, uh, it's longer. You have to understand that some, some parameters can shift quite a lot. Uh, and so therefore, uh, creating contingencies in your valuations, uh, trying to take a view on, say, for instance, conversion of resources into, into reserves for oil and mining. Uh, all of those are are things that um, differ a bit. Thank you. It's a very, very complete answer. Uh, I have to to apologize uh, in advance for my next question because it's a little bit, little bit long. Uh, but uh, recently, um, we had Haynes and Boone come out with a, a report uh, that said that more than kind of 100 U.S. and oil gas producers and services companies went bankrupt last year due to the, yeah. the pandemic, uh, which accounted for kind of around 108 billion in debt. Yeah. Um, but now recently due to kind of the recovery in oil prices, um, you know, U.S. energy companies that had struggled to survive are now raising records amount of, of debt. I know that one called Chesapeake raised around mm. a one billion note uh, with a coupon of about 6%, which is quite low, uh, especially for, for companies that just are trying to fend off bankruptcy. Um, so during the pandemic, most of the, the M&A in the oil space um, had been completed with low premiums and financed with uh, something that is kind of less expensive, like all stock transactions uh, in terms of kind of the amount you have to pay. Um, so do you expect that this renewed optimism in, in the oil space and the rebound in prices is going to have an effect on M&A activity uh, mm -hmm. in the short and long run? And do you think that this will be concentrated in, in a specific area like upstream exploration, midstream storage, um, downstream refining? Uh, so I guess to summarize, where do you think that I guess oil and gas M and A is going uh, forward? Um, a lot of of, of sub questions in a in a in a in a very interesting question overall. So I'll try and respond to a few of those um, with no order of priority. M and A activity um, in oil and gas, but whatever I'm going to say now applies to more than one sector is really driven by three fundamental factors. There are others. These three fundamental factors are probably the most prevalent and the most impactful. 
its valuation, its availability of finance, and it is board confidence. Uh, board confidence is obviously higher when share prices are higher and when, uh, and especially if these share prices, such as uh, it is the case in uh, my sectors, are in part driven by the commodity price environment. So I would say that um, board confidence at the moment, much uh, stronger than it was this time last year, yet there is still caution uh, and prudence given that um, the forward-looking environment, the, the, the ability to predict um, the commodity price environment isn't maybe as flawless as it was a couple of, of years ago because of the fundamentals that you mentioned, the, uh, the pandemic, who, who could have predicted that. And in oil and gas, there is always a, a big unknown, which is how OPEC would react to, to certain events. One would have assumed that OPEC's members are always disciplined uh, because it is in their interest to maintain a, uh, a, a, um, uh, a relative level of um, oil prices in order to keep, uh, keep things going from a budgetary standpoint. It's not always the case, as you know well, and I can see that you do your homework fairly well. Valuation, um, I think if you take, um, and in our case, we, uh, we do the valuation always on a, on a through the cycle um, basis, and these cycles are long, uh, three to five years at the very least. Valuations at the moment are mid-cycle. Uh, they are not very expensive, that they're not very cheap, it's mid-cycle. Um, and if you were to look at the way in which one could um, basically frame the valuation of oil companies uh, across the piece, particularly for those that generate cash and are paying dividends, is the dividend yield, uh, free cash flow yield. And those where they sit at the moment uh, are basically indicative of a, of a mid-cycle paradigm. So not expensive, not cheap. Um, financing uh, is interesting in that, obviously, um, there is a lot of liquidity in the system. There is a significant amount of uh, ability and willingness to lend. The issue is that the lending um, institutions, as well as institutional investors through bonds, and, and you mentioned that the the Chesapeake race are more choosy, are more selective. Um, and especially they are favoring, and rightly so, those companies or assets or situations which are more advanced from an ESG standpoint. So the third important driver of MA, which is financing, is there or thereabout. It's it is, it is, however, more choosy um, and more selective. The the um Utilizing cash versus stock, obviously, with, with the uh, current dynamic of um, very low interest rate environment, um, low cost of finance, um, balance sheets that have been repaired to an extent, to an extent, there is um, some preponderance of, um, of, of, of using cash in, uh, in small to medium-sized transactions. Incidentally, as you would know, if you use cash, given the low cost of finance today, the uh, financial effects of any combination are more accretive from the purpose, from the um, 
from the standpoint of the buyer. Um, the PE of cash, if you take a 3% cost of finance, the, the PE of, of cash is in the 30s. And so if you buy something that is worth 10 to 15, it's very accretive. Um, however, however, I think what we have seen uh, very vividly over the past few quarters is that companies are ever more conservative with their balance sheets. Adding up debt um, has uh, clearly shown its limitations from the standpoint of optionality, risk, and all of that obviously impacting valuation. And so you would feel that whilst there is CEO confidence, at least more than it was a year ago, whilst there is financing more than it was a year ago, there is more prudence from the standpoint of um, the oil all companies, but what I'm saying here also extends to other national resources parties. Leverage is being brought down almost across the piece. Um, managements are being very disciplined in allocating more of their um, operating free cash flow to to taming down debt and rewarding their shareholders uh, via you know greater dividends and um, and buybacks if there is a consideration that the share price isn't reflective of the company's intrinsic value and its fundamentals. Um, and so we're seeing all of these aspects that are fundamentals in a corporate finance dynamic at play at this, uh, at this moment. Thank you. <laughs> I guess uh, uh, an interesting question to ask you would be, uh, do you have a favorite deal that you have worked on uh, uh, recently? This past year, we were advising the creditors. We are still because actually the deal has completed today, as we speak. We had the great privilege of advising the creditors of um, Premier Oil in connection with the merger with uh, Cresor. And the company, as of tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m., is Harbor Energy PLC and listed on the main board in London. Um, I, 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 am, I am focusing on oil and gas. Um, there are plenty of mining deals. I am exceedingly... Uh, proud of uh, proud isn't really the um, the right term. It's always a privilege to be asked by a client to uh, to work with them, and if they entrust you with a transaction, is that they believe in your advice, they trust in your advice, and this is humbling. And I still really believe that um, after thirty years in banking, uh, and so I am just voluntarily at the moment concentrating on uh, on uh, on oil and gas. Um, the Cresor um, and Premier, um, we started this as a restructuring assignment, um, advising the larger proportion of the uh, Cresor uh, of the Premier uh, lenders. And we came to the view that uh, as an ongoing concern, um, whilst Premier could, could um, still evolve and still have a profitable life, it would have been, it would be more appropriate, more value enhancing over a long period of time, given the challenges we saw at the time in the oil market that um, it, uh, it, it combines to create critical mass, to create the effect of efficiency, to benefit from productivity and, and, the, and, and, and the economies of scale, that it engages into a merger. And then the, 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 
the company's advisors and ourselves um, worked on a process which ended up uh, uh, culminating in a merger with uh, with Crisol, which is private. It's a reverse merger. They Those don't happen often. Uh, and so that's why I'm noticing it. Uh, it's because it's a reverse merger. And it's a reverse merger which started with a restructuring assignment. And again, the other attribute here is that, um, and this is one of the strengths of Lazard, is that our platform lends itself to cross-fertilizing across across various disciplines in the firm, providing a unicity um, in, in an excellent financial advice which creates value. And I think that the um, the premier creditors as well as the various stakeholders would, would agree with that. So um, tomorrow morning, Harbor Energy is the is a new uh, party, interesting party in uh, in uh, on the London Bourse in oil and gas. And um, having had the great privilege of assisting in that, um, even though it's uh, it's marginal, is a is a is a great joy. Thank you. And I see that unfortunately we're kind of running out of time. Um, but as the, the final question that I'd like to ask you, um, and something I'm sure our, our students will like to hear is, if you had any career advice that you'd be giving to, to our students, what would it be? Yeah, I have two children. Um, I have three, but you know, two are at universities, and they ask me the same question. And I say to them, um, work hard is a must. Perseverance is a must. Kindness is a must. And never to give up is a must. So all four, if you if you if you aggregate them, uh, would take you a long way. Bear in mind that there is no defeat. There is no failure. It's either you win, or or you learn. I see this in my day day to day. Not every call to a client results in a deal. I hear more no's than yeses, but the no's that I hear are a, a platform for me to grow, to learn, and be better at my next goal. Thank you so much once again for, for coming out uh, and giving us the opportunity to, to interview you. Thank you so much. It's a great privilege to be with you, and good luck for all of you um, for the remainder of the year and beyond.